Hi, I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Spencer, and my guest this week is Simon Tyler. He's the author of four books, The Simple Way, Keep It Simple Book, The Impact Book, and the book we're going to be talking about in this episode, The Attitude Book, which I think you're going to really enjoy. I really enjoyed reading it and pulling out some of my favorite bits, which we're going to talk about here. But a bit more about Simon first. So as well as being the author, he is a motivational speaker. He's inspired and empowered over people at over 700 live events. He's a business coach working with companies like BP, Morgan Stanley, O2, Volkswagen, and Cisco, so some really huge companies. He's also a mentor, and he's delivered about 5,000 hours of coaching to over 750 leaders and executives. And he's a pioneer in, in what's called simplicity, impact, and attitude, which I think is a, a real statement, Simon. So firstly, welcome to the show. Thanks, Leanne. Thank you very much. Let's talk just briefly, pioneer in simplicity, impact, and attitude. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm still a little bit in awe of, of my own instruction. When you hear your own numbers thrown back at you, it's uh, it's a nice thing. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, they're, they're big, big and impressive numbers. Well, as I quite often start whenever I'm doing a talk, the names we're given play themselves out in some form. And obviously being called Simon, Chris and Simon, and as you can imagine through my life, I've various nicknames been called. And one of the most common has been Simple Simon. I've been called Simple Simon all my life. <laughs> And I railed against it for most of my life. Well, no, I'm not. I'm complicated. I'm complicated. And I tried my best to be complicated and got knitted in knots all at various points in my life until several years ago I was being coached. And my coach, Drew Roselle at the time, just challenged me and said, well, maybe you are simple. And there was a stony silence in the dialogue. And I thought, oh, okay, well, let's explore that. And of course, as we explored it, you're right. It's the approach I tend to always have in situations looking at things perhaps more simply than my client or the client company is at the time. So I accepted the simple moniker and it was no surprise. First book was The Simple Way and subsequently also written the Keep a Simple book, which is you refer to at the top of this call. And on the journey, simplicity just bred into impact. Lots and lots of the work I was doing and continue to do with clients on a one-to-one basis and a one-to-team basis has been about impact. So it wasn't almost my intent to be the impact, the go-to impact person. It was just where I was called, and that's where Hmm. people were asking to get involved and helping them, largely using simple techniques and simple methods, but it was helping them with their impact. And then latterly, sort of what seemed to dawn through all of that in the last couple of years particularly has been what I've noticed about attitude. My attitude, definitely at the core, I've sort of observed myself. One of the the upsides of being in the profession I am is I try and notice a lot about my own journey and uh, my own challenges and peaks and troughs. But then also looking at my client work, how attitude plays itself out. And attitude makes a massive difference. has done to me, and I notice when my attitude drops, different results turn up different things show up and it takes some work to shift my attitude and then for new things to start happening. And since committing to Lid, my publisher, yep, I'm going to write about attitude. It's been a fantastic journey. The last two years or so, just studying 
attitude a little bit more closely, closely and observing people. So that was a very long answer, Leanne, but that sort of unpicks those three topics that I've claimed as my hills. Cool. And could you give us an example of how an increasing awareness of attitude and then sitting down to write the book has changed the way you approach your own life or your coaching practice or any other aspect of your business life? Yeah, well, there's a lot of examples in and across all of that, but, but attitude itself, we all hear that word attitude a lot. Change your attitude. Oh, he's got a good attitude, she's got a bad attitude and so on. So it's quite a used expression. And as such, I think it's become a little bit blunted. People don't realize it and they just take it for granted that your attitude just shows up and it is what it is. Of course, it's not. We get a massive choice, a huge choice. We can be really deliberate about our attitude and we only seem to notice that our attitude has gone awry when it's gone awry, when things aren't showing up as we'd hoped them to be. Hmm. And then it's quite a tough journey to shift attitudes. So the awareness and my intent with the book is to get people to become more deliberate about what their attitude is going to be and more resilient about it. So I'll go back to your question, some examples for me. I've had some, on my journey, some tough moments in the last sort of five or six years where I could just feel perhaps one of the attitudes that came to me was can't be botheredness. Mm. And as an attitude, being can't, can't be bothered, I just started to do less, commit to less, get involved in less. And then as a result, I started to find myself justifying and stuck in can't be bothered because there was less going on because I've encouraged less to go on mm. and to shift that round and obviously working with um, surrounding myself with people that help me and help me notice and my friends and colleagues quite often act a little bit like wing mirrors on a motorbike or on a car and I can see all aspects of me and what's going on around me and they help me they give me that reflected view and it's like well okay well I can shift my attitude here mm. and many of the aspects of those shifts in attitude I've captured in the attitude book yeah and connected with that I think is I talk quite a bit about being able to change your emotional soundtrack going into events it's a similar kind of thing attitude and emotional soundtrack for example if you can't actually change an event that you are you know you're going to maybe it's a difficult meeting what you can do is change your emotional soundtrack and the way you think about that event so you can do that. And ways of doing that might be breathing and meditation. So it's all part really of, of not being able to change an event necessarily, but you can change how you think going into that event. And you can change your attitude. That's totally at the end. Going into that event. Absolutely. That's the deliberate bit that you can do. You can control right in the middle. So you become less susceptible to what's going on around you. Mm. It sounds really easy in this conversation, clearly. But you can, if you're going into a tough situation and again I pick this up in many of the attitude shifters in the book but to go back the middle to hold on to right I don't need to think these things I can just notice the thoughts wanting to run and tell me that you know things aren't good or aren't as I'd wish them to be but I can clip those thoughts mm. and it's interesting you also use the the expression soundtrack one of the attitude shifters in the book is called your playlist Mm. and it's quite literally is a soundtrack. I just noticed working with a few people, and then one particularly was my son, who was at university, and how 
the music he listened to, and he told me this, he, I didn't draw it out of him, the music he listened to made a difference to how he felt and how he was able to concentrate or commit to periods of time of concentration. And it's like, well, I know this. I picked this up. And of course, we all sort of know this, but it makes absolute sense. So in the playlist, Attitude Shifter in the book, I advise people to spend a bit of time noticing what music they feel better in or more focused on and just build your playlist. Famous sports stars have recorded and said about how they listen to one, two or three tracks they listen to just gets them back in a slightly more positive frame of mind and become more resilient. Yeah. The music aspect of what you're saying is a, a real soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk specifically about some of the chapters in the book. So the book is called The Attitude Book, 50 Ways to Positively Affect Your Life and Work. It's published by Lid Publishing and it's out now. It's a great book. Let's pick out, there were the four that I wanted to focus on, which is Read Me, Saying No Nicely, 1,000 Thank Yous, and Sharpen the Axe. Do you mind, Read Me is the first one and just talk us through that chapter. Yeah, of course. I will say that all the books I've written, I tend to try and write them for people who haven't got time to read books, which sounds a bizarre and not very good sort of marketing approach. But they are written in such a way that you can dip in and dip out, read them chapter by chapter in no particular order so that it matches just your appetite for picking these up. And thank you for picking out four. First one being Read Me. Some of them do interlock with each other, but but there can be standalone sort of, as I say, shifters of your attitude. Number six, chapter six, is read me. And it's just to help people notice what they're actually reading. Just as I said a few moments ago about the soundtrack can, can shape and shift your attitude, so can the things you read. Hmm. And I observe this about me, which is if you're not in a deliberate way, you'll just pick up anything and read anything. So maybe, yes, you've got your emails and everything else that comes to you every day from whoever they come from but you've got any newspaper or articles online that you might read. And if you're not being deliberate about this, you are consuming information all the time. And what you read affects your attitude. Mm. And particularly, as I go on to say in the Attitude Shifter, if you know the author or for some reason you have a connection to the writer, you can quite often in your head, some people will put the voice of that person or assumed voice of that person in it. So when they're reading the article, they're almost hearing that person. So the connection is really deep. Mm. And if you are in any way susceptible, your attitude is susceptible, you're going to be influenced by everything you read. So if you're reading a lot of bad news articles, it's going to change your mood. There was a, a client I was talking to two or three years ago, and I can't remember how, but we just we picked up sort of what literature she read. And she shared with me, and she worked in a tough industry um, in terms of a people care industry. And she said that her main escape was to read quite dark and traumatic crime novels. <laughs> and she was an avid reader, and there would rarely be a gap between books. So finish one, next one's on, on, on she goes. And I could see as we were just talking about it, she suddenly had the realization that I had it. This is affecting your attitude. And she's like, oh, you're right. And it was, oh my goodness me, a slap on the forehead moment. Don't hell, this is shaping my mood. And she had days of feeling a little bit dark and would have to really work hard to pick herself up out of 
often a malaise. Mm. Whoa. So that, that's a very obvious example. Yeah. But what you read makes a difference. Yeah. One of the reasons I picked this out is in the work that I do, I do encourage people to have a news ban. A news ban because most of what we we're exposed to in the news is fear, drama, propaganda, or shame. It's not something that serves us well. We don't actually need to know this stuff. I've had a news ban for about three years now. I still know what's going on in the world in terms of major events because I'll either see it in Twitter or Facebook, which I'm on for business and occasionally for personal use, or someone will tell me about it. But, you know, the whole, you see, there's a lot of, isn't it poor people of Syria or isn't it awful that this has happened? And yes, it is awful. But really, unless you're going to do something about it, whether it's sending food parcels, money or volunteering or something else, do you need to know about it? Is it not just some sort of some appeals to the monkey brain in us or just makes people feel yeah. low? So I, I, that's why I, I loved that particular chapter because I completely agree. Yeah. What we read can profoundly change our, our attitude and then our mindset and then our emotions and how we start feeling. And you're right. And, and clearly you're singing the choir here and that's something I have and often have said to clients. And, I, and in some of the presentations I've done, there a couple of slides I used to use one showed a clip of lots and lots of headlines of a, from a particular period of time, a week's period of time. I would invite the audience just to look at all these headlines. They're all pretty bad news stories, depression, business closure, and so on, all these headlines. And I'd invite people to say to their person next to them what they think about those headlines and how they think they're feeling. And they would all share some information about that. And then I would show a second slide, which is from the same period of time, from the same publications, but it took a little bit longer to find them, positive headlines. Mm. Just a scattering of positive headlines. Invite the audience to do the same. And the tone difference in the room, every time I did this, was marked. It was lighter, jollier. You could hear the meter and the pitch difference. People were happier and people laughed and I invited people to say, well, what do you think? And they say, well, they doubted them. Hmm. So we've got this learnt doubt about good news. Yeah. And you're right, media sells on bad news. Yeah. The truth is that people are drawn to, maybe addicted because of the dopamine kick, to bad news stories. It makes things the world feel worse than my own life, maybe. I'm not sure what people get out of it. But we don't need it. News ban, radio ban, TV news ban. Yeah. You don't need it. I don't know if you, if you have this issue when you're coaching clients, but trying to wean people off the 10 o'clock news is not an easy thing to do. No. And I often say to people, if I offered to pop round and knock on the door at five to 10, because I've had a really bad day and I'd just like to offload if that's okay. And there's a couple other things that have gone wrong as well. And would that be all right? I very much doubt anyone will be opening their door to me. But when they switch on the news, it's, it's putting, exposing themselves to the same negativity and fear. And yeah, it, it is an odd one. Yeah, and Leanne, this is exactly it. And this is perhaps why I do what I do. We are now in a world, a wonderful world of choice. Massive, Mm -hmm. massive choice. Where we take TV and media in hundreds of different ways. You can choose to consume it when you want, in any form you want, on your phone, on your tablet, on the TV, on the radio. We can take all of this information whenever we want in the volume that we want. So we've got a choice. If you're not deliberate about it, you are caught in the flotsam and jetsam of life and your mood, and specifically as far as I'm talking on this situation, your attitude is vulnerable. And I sort of flippantly say at the top of the book, 
the world's attitudes are at risk. Seven billion attitudes are at risk. And one of the other articles in the book is called Rumitude, which is, I know you picked that one out as we were talking about this before this call, number 19. And Rumitude sort of describes the collection of a group of people of attitudes. And yes, I was talking about specifically a room full of people, but it's the same. If everybody is consuming and allowing their attitudes to be just blended to what's going on, all of a sudden we've all got a cumulative group of bad attitudes. It's no surprise. And when I talk to companies about this, this is, as far as I'm concerned, how culture change starts. Mm. If you want to change the culture, start shifting the attitudes. Yeah. And talking of company culture, because like you, I work with people that have a real issue with their workload, with burnout, yeah. with, with stress within a corporate environment. And I do think some of it comes down to this. They don't say no enough. And that leads me to the next chapter I'd love to talk about, which is saying no nicely. Mm. I like this one. This has been with me for years, and it was no surprise that I had to include it in the Attitude book, which was the ability to say no nicely. Exactly as you just said, some people can't. Some of us naturally attract work, and it's good, and people perhaps learn and respect us, and they know they can ask us to take on a bit more work, and it causes us personal overwhelm. And as I say in the article, that I can hear old bosses saying, if you want something done, give it to someone who's already busy. Mm. Because that's the truth, which is somebody who's busy is naturally busy, which means they're going to be getting all this stuff. So they magnetically attract more and more work. And they probably, well, almost certainly, have not got the strength or the wherewithal or the confidence to say no to work because they think that would damage their brand. It would change the way people feel towards them and they would feel less of service and they would feel like they're letting people down or whatever other projections they might make into that. So in this attitude shifter, I invite people to explore how to say no nicely. And a gift that was given to me many years ago, I'd hate to even think how many years ago it was, on a time management program I was on in Birmingham, probably in the early 80s. And it was to respond to a request with, ah, tell me more. Just use the expression, tell me more, which is a, a little bit of a, a curb defender, a deflector that says, tell me more about what you're asking about. What is it you actually really want to do? So that's easy, particularly the hard workers, to say, oh, tell me more about that. I'd like to know more about what you're asking here. And what happens in that magic moment is the person who's asking the request has to unravel it a bit more. It gives you more time to think about, am I the right person to do this? Do I really want to do this? Can I do this? Is there someone else who can do this better than me? And another byproduct is as the person unravels it, Almost all the time, it gets slightly easier and more obvious, as they've explained it. And occasionally, they end up saying, do you know what? Having explained it, I'll take it back. Yeah. And they take the request away. Not always, but it happens. Mm. But the ability to say no nicely can be an immense learning for some people. Yeah. If somebody has trouble doing that, apart from the piece of advice you've just given, what else would you do to try and empower them to start saying no more? Well... From a, a person who's not saying no at the moment to invite them to start saying no, that's that's probably too much of a journey. They're not going to do it. Yeah. And they might do it occasionally for you, their coach, you know, if you're coaching them or I'm coaching them. But then as soon as we've gone away, they'll they'll revert. So I would invite people to perhaps 
introduce a little bit more reviews. And it's tough to do because if they're busy, they're busy. There's less time to do a review. But a review which is, what work have I taken on for others this week? Not saying change it, not saying give it back or say no. Just this is heightening your awareness of what is going on. Most people that probably, I'm sure you and certainly I work with, the best gift we can give them is to increase their awareness about what's actually happening for them at the moment. Mm. Just allowing things just to be as they are. So the review point is, what am I taking on? That's interesting. What have I enjoyed doing? What could somebody else have done of those things? And has my effort been noticed? So just asking those sort of review questions increases your strength and perhaps your fortitude to begin to be able to say no or notice when a no is better than a yes. Mm. And I think that's one that I'd really urge people to think about because the majority of people I know, and I said yes to something recently before thinking about it, then realized I actually didn't have the bandwidth to do it in the time frame. But I didn't ask for the time frame. I just assumed it, you know, it could be done when it suited me. And we'll have to pull out of it, which is not good. It's not professional and it's, it's mm. not good. And so that is definitely one I'd encourage people to think about. You know, the easiest way to create more time for yourself is to take stuff off your plate that doesn't need to be done. And equally, think about the type of activities that you do, mm. whether it's high value but got to be done by you or could be done by someone else, and low value, mm. which could be done, you know, maybe is done by you, low value would be cleaning the house. But I know people that enjoy it, they feel that it gets exercise, so they carry on doing it because they find it therapeutic in a way. Okay, fine. But other low value activities absolutely do not need to be done by you. So the saying no and then actually looking at everything that you do and working out, does it really need to be done by me? Easiest way to create more free time. Let's move on. There's yeah. two more I'd really like to talk about in the time we've got left. The thousand thank yous. Just explain that, that concept for us. I like this one. And the fact that um, as, I, as I tripped over it, <laughs> I got more and more engrossed in writing it. And this another one is about being active and being deliberate about things. Lots has been written about gratitude. And one of the hmm. attitude shit in the book is simply called gratitude. Gratitude is a very positive way to be engaged with what's going on in your life. Uh If you've not got sort of gratitude in your standard makeup and mix, then you're probably just letting things happen and missing the opportunity to be really grateful. for. Actually, this is cool. This is really, really good. I like this. As soon as you connect with what's going on in your world in that way, in a grateful way, actually things feel just slightly better than they were already. Yeah. And it's a really simple technique. So with a thousand thank yous, and I've noticed when I'm working with clients, coaching clients, or what can I say, or teams or companies, is to use a challenge or to invite people to accept a challenge. And I'll think of a challenge for someone that might be a little bit outrageous or a little bit to the edge of their boundary. And when I invite somebody to accept a challenge, I'm happy for them to not accept the challenge or to change the challenge, or to delay the challenge. But just the, me bringing up a challenge can quite often stir people to do more than they otherwise would. So the point of this one, which is chapter 34,000 thank yous, is I invite the reader to see if they can make, or create a list, a log, to deliver a thousand thank yous in a calendar month, which works out to be about 33 thank yous a day. And my sort of quality standard in this, I advise, is 
they clearly need to be sincere and not just empty and throw away. And they need to be evident so the person can either hear them or see them. But the purpose of the thousand thank you challenge is to shift your awareness of your ability to become much more grateful for what's going on. So it's an example of I give in there where you say you're in a queue of traffic in your car and somebody lets you in. Make a slightly more over an obvious way of thanking the person for letting you in, as opposed to just a token little nonchalant little wave. Say thank you more often when people complete a task for you, hold the door open for you, make way for you in a queue, whatever it might be. Make your thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sincere, heard or seen, and appropriate to whatever's been delivered. And having run the challenge myself, it's really, really interesting and notable how you feel at the end of that month. Yeah. I think it's probably a very powerful way of changing your physiology, actually. In um, the same way that the breathing is. Like, good point. Yeah. I like that as well, because it's another way that we can shift our attitudes in a very natural, organic way. It's easy to do and it, it will work. You know, it's a bit like smiling more. It's, it's been known in, in studies yeah. to, to alter people's depressive states in a positive way. And I don't know if you've heard that Oprah and Tony Robbins both say it's impossible to be angry and grateful at the same time. And that's, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, okay, brilliant. Let's go to the last one, which is sharpen the axe. Yes. Well, this is an expression that many people have heard of sharpen, saw a sharpen the axe has, has come up a lot and it appears towards the end of the book because it's important, I think, for people to realize they need to do some Sharpening, they just can't keep going on through life, whether it be, as you were saying earlier on, they're overwhelmed or they've taken on too much work. They've got to look after themselves. Mm. Now, how do people are inviting them to become aware of how do you sharpen your acts? How do you become better? How do you rejuvenate? How do you relax? How do you get enough rest? Because to keep on trudging through life, metaphorically chopping and chopping and chopping away at the trees or whatever it is you're chopping in life, Eventually, your axe will go blunt and it will take more hits and more effort to achieve anything. If your axe is blunt, basically try and chop a tree down with a hammer. Yeah. That's not going to be very effective. So I invite people to think about what it is that they could do to sharpen their axe. And one, of course, would be obviously to read a couple of the attitude shifters in the book, in the attitude book, Mm -hmm. or... Maybe it's to write for a few minutes every day about the impact they've had or the impact they intend to have. Or it might be to give themselves 30 minutes break. Because I've noticed as well that the old lunch hour, the old lunch break, has become condensed for many, many people. Mm-hmm. And they don't have a break. It was, used, it was called a break. It gives people a break from their mental strains or physical strains. But now, of course, what I notice about people is in their lunch break, they are very active, running to the shops, running to whatever the store is to get their lunch food. It's not a break. It's just an alternate active. So I invite people to have more obvious breaks. And it might also include whatever you dig into, whatever sources of motivation that you like and you're tuned to, an inspirational audio, something on YouTube, something you might have on your in your iTunes library that you can listen to that just 
feels good. All back to playlist. I said at the top of this conversation, go listen to some great music or inspiring music. It just tuned you back up. And that's actually what I was going to say. So for me, sharpening the axe is taking micro breaks, yeah. having a bit of time to myself, maybe going putting my face in the sun, getting some fresh air, yeah. lots of multiple benefits for, for those things. Sitting in the sauna, we've had an outdoor sauna fitted recently, sitting in that for 20, 30 minutes at the end of the day, reading, nice. podcasts, all this kind of stuff is a form of sharpening the axe. It's keeping me sharp, keeping me engaged, keeping me motivated. And also helping me to, as we've been discussing, change my physiology from feeling a bit stressed and you know, maybe slightly overwhelmed and busy, which is a word I really don't like, but I've had moments of feeling busy recently, yeah. to feeling more on top of things and getting my enthusiasm yeah. back. And it's really about managing your energy reserves. And anyone listening to this podcast yeah. will, will be interested in that. You know, We've got a very finite amount of energy and it comes from one place. We haven't got some for work, some for home, some for sport. It comes yeah. from one place and we have to be very careful how we ration that valuable resource. So, Can I just jump in there on that? Sorry, Leanne, just a quickie. Yeah. With the whole energy that you talk about, I totally get that. We have whoever we are every day. But what I notice is that people create restrictions or constrictions to their energy flow. And it might be because you're telling yourself, or maybe you've got a blunt axe, I'm telling myself, well, I'm not feeling so great. That might or might not be true, but in doing that and thinking about that, it creates a constriction to your energy flow. And I would invite people just to notice that you can get your energy to flow much, much more. It's a big one. Thank you, Leanne. Yep. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And thank you for that. We're out of time, unfortunately. And as you predicted, we, it would go very quickly and we wouldn't have time to cover more than four. So the book, again, is called The Attitude Book, 50 Ways to Positive Affect Your Life and Work. It's published by Lid. It's by my guest today, Simon Tyler. Um, Simon, people can contact you at uh, a variety of sources. Uh, LinkedIn, you're Simon Tyler. Twitter, yeah. you're at Simply Simon T. Instagram is simply Simon Tyler. We will publish all these contact links in the show notes, but email is contact at simontyler.com and your website, simontyler.com. Is there anything you wanted to add before we, we sign off? Anything you want to leave the listeners with? Good luck. If you're only going to read one in the book, just read the last page, which is the Attitude Advisor. Okay. Which is to create an advisor that sits on your shoulder that tells you what attitude to have. Yeah. So if you really want to read the book really quickly, just read chapter 50 and you're done. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Well, we'll link, of course, to the book as well. I do encourage people to read all of it. But yeah, that is, I've read that and it's a powerful chapter. So I'll just add as well, actually, that I read this book while I was in that, the sauna. So it was perfect. If you've just got bite-sized <laughs> chunks of reading time. Yeah. Maybe I should get it printed with plasticized pages. <laughs> no, it survived in there. It's in really quite good no. shape. I have interviewed a few people recently for the podcast where the dogs got hold of the book as well, thankfully after I've read it and made my notes in it. But this one has survived <laughs> the teeth of our dogs, so all good. <laughs> all right, Simon, thank you very much. Thank you very, very much, Leanne. I really appreciate this conversation. Yeah, thank you. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.